Well, again, a welcome this day to uh, guests today, certainly to members, those who will watch us at a later time online as well, or are now, we welcome you too. And today uh, we have a, a message that is focused on um, hospitality. And this message today is uh, sort of connected back with our message from two weeks ago when we had our uh, Vision Sunday message. I want to encourage you, if you haven't heard that message, to go onto YouTube and find it. It's an important message for our church and uh, the places that uh, God is leading. Uh, but this message has some parallels, and it's, uh, I think, a, a building from that uh, previous message. I want to say a, a thank you to uh, Charlie for filling in last uh, Sunday, and I pray that that was an encouraging time of worship as well. And for this message today, um, the part of our vision that we talked about two weeks ago that this most directly correlates to is this idea of relational evangelism. And so you'll notice on your bulletin there, we have our, our mission statement, our vision there too. And that, that part of that vision connected with building relationships and bringing people to a knowledge of the gospel, that's really the intersection of our uh, message this morning. And so today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, uh, looking at verses 5 and 6 in a message entitled Christian hospitality. And so feel free to turn there in your Bible if you'd like to. And as you do, I'll share uh, an account with you that I came across this week. There was a Christian explorer uh, who once shared this story. I was on a long backpacking trip some years ago, and after two or three hours on the outskirts of town, I saw a man working his way toward me on the on-ramp. And it was obvious when I looked at this man that he was homeless. He wore filthy canvas coveralls and carried a black beat-up lunchbox. And as he got closer, I could see that his hair was uh, matted in a way that occurs only after months of walking on the road. I put my hand on the pepper spray in my pocket and turned to face him. You've been out here long, he asked me. I nodded. Where are you headed? California, I said. It's warm out there. Yep, I responded quickly. You got enough food? He asked me. And at that moment, I thought about this. Clearly, he didn't have any, and if I admitted that I did, he'd ask me for some. That would mean opening my backpack and revealing all my expensive camping gear. I felt alone at that moment and ripe for the picking. I got some cheese, I said. You won't make it to California with just a little cheese, he responded. You'll starve. At first, I didn't understand. What was he saying exactly? I kept my hand on the pepper spray. Believe me, he said. I know. Listen, I live in my car back in town, and every day I walk out to the nearby mine to see if they have work for me. But today, they don't, so I won't be needing this lunch of mine. You can have it. I began to sag with understanding this man shared in his story. In this homeless man's world, everything that he has and possesses would be in his bag. I don't need your lunch, I said to him. He shook his head and opened his box. It was a typical meal, a bologna sandwich, an apple, and a bag of chips. I kept protesting, but he wouldn't have any of it. I finally took his lunch and watched him walk toward town. I learned a lot of things in college, this man shares. 
My parents taught me a lot about street smarts as well. I learned things in Europe and in Mexico and in all the places that I traveled uh, doing God's work. But I had to stand out there on that frozen piece of interstate to learn hospitality and generosity from a homeless man. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Hospitality can take different forms from situation to situation. And as we dive into uh, this message today, this topic today, I want you to consider what it means to be hospitable to outsiders as a Christian. Is it simply welcoming someone? Is it expecting them to be different? Is it all about safety? Or is it more complex than that? And how does the church demonstrate hospitality when we do so together? How does this church demonstrate hospitality to the outsider? And so as you think on this today, our first point of focus is this. We have to think past our practices as they learn, meaning the outsider. Focus with me on verse 5. Now, if you've been here for our Wednesday night adult discipleship, and I encourage you to attend if you haven't been attending, uh, you'll know that Paul is writing to uh, the church at Colossae in uh, this book, certainly in these verses. And in that church and city, there were a wide range of people with different beliefs, different backgrounds, and different worldviews, not unlike our city now uh, here in Asheville. And Paul, who wrote these verses, has a special calling God has placed on him to reach the Gentiles or really just to reach uh, the outsiders of the faith. And so against that background and that backdrop, Paul tells the church to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And wisdom, as you know, is knowledge rightly applied. So take what you know is true and true to God's word and apply it to the situation that you're in. And so you know already from the word of God, Paul reminds this church at that time that they are to reach outsiders or non-believers with the gospel. But how they do that will vary from situation and from person to person. But he also says in verse 5, to make the best use of time. Because every time you talk to someone who is outside of the church, every time that you communicate with someone who is outside of the faith, it's a chance, an opportunity, sometimes just a moment, uh, to connect them to Jesus. But you have to be wise. You have to be timely. And you have to communicate the message of Jesus in a way that they can hear, which may be different than the way that you hear or that you heard the message of the gospel when you became a Christian. Imagine with me for a moment that you run a business out of your home. Some of you do that, so you know the story already. And you have a very special potential client coming to your house. And if they will begin to do business with you, 
it will help them a lot and help you a lot. And so they're coming. And you're hoping and praying that they will start working with you and maybe buy your product. And you don't want anything to distract from that. But when they show up, they don't take off their shoes at the door like most people who enter your home do. And they don't take off their coat like most people who enter your home do. And they have strong smelling clone on, which isn't overwhelming, but it's more than you're used to. What are you going to do? Because they're there to hear about your product. And you don't want anything, again, to distract from that. And they don't know anything about the normal way people act in your home. Of course they don't. They've never been to your home. They'll learn these things over time as you build a relationship with them and they grow to like you. But you don't want to risk offending them when they don't know your motives yet. Because that, what matters is a relationship. What matters is the product. You want to be wise and not waste the chance. And this is what Paul is seeking to communicate to the church about Christian hospitality. That underneath all the many things we do to be hospitable is one single primary goal. It is to get people to a product. But our product is not a product of commerce. Our product is the gospel of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a message, and getting people to that message is our first and forever priority. And every chance we have to talk to an outsider is a chance to bring them to that message whether in our home or in the church. So we need to welcome them in a way that they understand. And so we cannot get hung up on external things or cultural things or ways we like things to be that aren't biblical commands and ultimately don't have anything to do with the message that we're here to bring. Because time is short. And we're reminded in the word of God that we must be wise lest we lose the opportunity to bring people to the gospel because we were worried about their dress or their hygiene or their way of acting. They will learn and adapt to us over time as we adapt to them, but that will take having a relationship. And that takes time and takes us focusing on getting them the message and not all the external cultural differences between us and them. And so how can we apply this to our lives? This is what we call the why, what, and how. Why does this matter? What do we do about it? And how do we do it? But why does this matter? Because we must be wise in order to evangelize. That rhymes a little. Write that one down. That was not intentional, by the way. I just wrote that down as I was preparing, and it just turned out that way. Not everyone around us is like us, in case that's news to you. And I mean that they don't all think and dress and act like us. And unless it's a biblical issue, it's just our preference. And that's okay, by the way. We and our own families can practice our preferences, and we thank God for the wide variety of how his church does its work. 
But when it comes to the outsiders, we must move past our concerns about these things so we have a chance to tell them about Jesus. So what do we do? Well, we've got to consider the comfort of our outsiders as important as ours, in fact, as equal to ours, because listen, both matter. We have a way we do things here. You have a way you do things in your home, and that's good. That's a part of being a community, but when someone from the outside comes in, they have a way of doing things too, and that's also good. And in time, we will help them adapt to us And we will learn to adapt to them mutually. But that's not where we start. Where we start is making sure they feel welcome. We sing sometimes, just as I am, as a hymn here. Well, they need to be able to come to us just like they will come to Jesus. Just as they are. Not as we want them to be. And so how do we do it? Well, when you see a visitor here or a guest here come to our church, comment on their welcome, not their dress or their hygiene or whatever else. Because again, we are trying to get them to Christ and they don't have the kind of grace that you might have because you're a Christian. And they only have so much patience for us trying to make them like us. Let Christ change them. So don't put anything in the way of them getting to him. Like feeling judged or criticized. Instead, make them feel equal. And enough. Just as they are. Now this isn't to say that there is never a reason to speak up. But when we do, we are called to speak and act gently about all things, which is our second point this morning. Look with me again at verse 6 in chapter 4. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As we said, Paul is communicating to the church about how to reach those outside of the church for the sake of the gospel. And he does tell them they will need to speak. And as an aside this morning, sharing the gospel has to be done verbally. It's a good thing to live a faithful Christian life. It's a good thing to share your testimony, but the gospel has to be shared verbally. The death and resurrection of Christ. If you can't speak, share it in a track, but share it. Not just show it. And so he's saying to them, they will have to speak. And the gospel is two things. It is calling people out of their sin and calling them to believe in Christ. So he says, when you speak, which includes confronting sin, do so in a gracious way. And in a way, like salt, which preserves both grace and truth. Both confronting people's sin and letting them know Christ has died for their sin. When you interact with these outsiders, guests, or whatever word you may call them, call them to belief and call them to biblical truth, sometimes even biblical conduct, both doing so gently, kindly, and with respect. One pastor put it this way, 
until the 1980s, there were no laws about child safety seats and automobile restraint systems and vehicles. Many young children who were not safely belted in their seats died in car accidents or were injured. And today's law prohibits children from riding in a car without special seating facing the right direction and properly installed. New mothers must have the seat in place before taking a child home from the hospital. A parent's love for a child is a wonderful, beautiful thing. Yet when a child's safety is at stake, it seems a parent's love is not always enough. Many parents need a seatbelt law to ensure the safety of their children. The same is true of our love and devotion for God and for other people. Feelings are not enough. We need laws and boundaries in the form of commands to help us love God and love one another. And for the church, we are to be more than welcoming, although that is a beginning place. We are to treat outsiders as equally deserving of dignity and respect, as was done with you when you were once an outsider. But we are also a people of order because we serve a God of order and a God of structure and a God of process. This isn't a business, but it's also not just a family. It is both a family and an organization. And that means we need to welcome people to Jesus, but we also need to call them away from their sin and away from their disorder. It's like when I was a youth director, my role was to help students get to the gospel. But in order to do that, I had to speak in a way and in a place where they could hear the gospel. That meant sometimes I'd have to call them down from running around the youth room in the middle of a lesson. There are some students in the room this morning who are now adults who were those students. I won't make any eye contact today. And I would call them to order when they were fighting with one another. But very soon after that, I would let them know that I loved them and then share the gospel with them and in address and in words and in a way that they could hear it. And so for us, church, there is a time to call people to right conduct. And that even includes guests sometimes in the church house. This is an organization, and we do have a need for order here. You can't scream out during a sermon unless it's an amen. Amen? Amen. You can't jump up on a table and start dancing during a Wednesday night supper. But unless what people are doing is stopping us from getting them to the gospel, then it's okay to let them be as they are. And if we do need to address an issue, we are to do so wisely, gently, which, by the way, really means slowly, in order to have enough time to pray and to think, in order to preserve the chance to get them to the gospel, like salt preserves as Paul says. And so in response to this, what is our why, what, and how? Why does this matter? Because we need order. In order to get people to Jesus, we have to have systems and we have to have structure. But again, order isn't about our preferences. It's about making 
All of us act in a way that's consistent with getting the message of the gospel to people wherever we might be with them together. Whether you're a visitor or a pastor, we all have standards of expectation in the life of the church. And so what do we do? If you must speak, must do so with grace. Again, when we have a guest, we only address their actions when what they are doing is a sin or is a consistent disruption from getting people to the gospel. Otherwise, it's a matter of cultural preference. And if we ever verbally address it, we wait until they have a relationship with us and a relationship with Christ. Lest we scare them away, then we become the ones who stop them from getting to the gospel. And God forbid that be one of us. I've seen it, and it's heartbreaking. My time in ministry, I've seen students who are corrected for matters of wardrobe, and they wander outside of the life of the church. I've heard of stories of people who observed others conducting themselves in a way that's dishonorable, and by that observation, they left the church. God forbid that be any of our stories. And so how do we do that? When we have an outsider come in who's different than us, we ask, is what they're doing distracting from the gospel? If the answer is no, then leave it alone. They will learn over time as they learn us and we learn them and we pursue Jesus together. If the answer is yes and it's a safety issue, then we address it, certainly, with grace. But if the answer is yes and it isn't ultimately a matter of immediate safety, then we slowly and gently and patiently address it with grace and kindness and wisdom. Because that was what was done with you and me. One day, you, back in your story, you weren't so put together either. You weren't so prim and proper either. Your language wasn't so clear either, or God-honoring either. And thank God Christ met you in that, through somebody who had patience and generosity and kindness. And I know even this day, we may have some here who are outside the faith, And I want you to know that just as you are, Christ is calling you to him. Calling you, certainly, yes, to believe the truth, confess your sin, and turn away from it. And trust him. I want you to know today he loves you and he will welcome you into his family. And we will welcome you into this family. And if that's you today or you'd like to pray with me over some other matter during this closing song, I'll be here at the end of the altar and I encourage you to come down and let's talk together about how to know Christ. Or maybe you've been convicted over some matter in this message and it is time for you to repent. I'll be here to pray with you. I want to invite you this day to come make a decision to follow Jesus or to follow him more faithfully. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and mercy that you've showered upon every person in this house today who knows you as Savior. 
you pulled us up out of something, calling us, yes, to the truth, but doing so in grace and mercy. And we praise you and we ask God, as you've done with us, so too give us wisdom as we seek to bring others to the gospel. Help us to see them and love them as you've seen us and love us. All in your name, all for your glory. Amen.